I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. Today, I'm so excited to introduce our friend Terry Cole to you. Terry Cole is a licensed psychotherapist, a master coach, and a real love expert. Really? Yes, because she's the founder of the Real Love Revolution. Yeah. And also Boundary Boot Camp. She has taught us so much about thriving in love and also boundaries. And she's worked with some of the world's most well-known personalities from international pop stars, athletes, TV personalities, two thought leaders, and Fortune 500 CEOs. She does not screw around. And Terry is really really wise. She combines practical psychology, Eastern mindfulness practices, and also harnessing the power of intention to create positive, sustainable change and true transformation. And she has been featured on A&E's Monster In-Laws, TEDx, The Lisa Oz Show, Real Housewives, and more. Of New Jersey. She was on The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Just in case you're a Real Housewives fan. Yes. Yeah, today was great. I love talking to Terry because she's a friend of ours. She actually spent Christmas with us this year. It was and so sweet. Yeah, her and her husband Vic and Vic painted wall ball targets in our garage for us. If you're um, not familiar, that's a CrossFit exercise. Yeah, you throw a ball at a target that's like nine feet off the ground for women and 10 feet off the ground for men. And Penelope, I think Penelope received her painting inspiration from Vic being here. You know, she's been painting almost every day ever since <laughs> yeah. Vic came to visit. And Terry tells a very funny story in the episode about Vic and her marriage and, you the know, painting. Vic, the painting and Vic also, yeah. you know, kind of being on board for the growth experience of being married and being in personal growth. Yeah. So I just, we've talked a lot about just relationship dynamics, how they are changing with you know, the invention of this social platforms of technology being a really a staple of our life now and how we can make our relationships continually strive for greatness, right? A Lewis Howes term, strive for greatness in this day and age. And also she gave us four questions to ask yourself when you're triggered in your relationship or really in any in any relationship in your life and romantic or otherwise to get to the bottom of what's really going on. So you can kind of stop circling the drain with the same argument over and over again with your partner. We tell a fresh hot off the presses story of a recent argument we had and what was getting triggered for both of us. And Terry kind of gives us some real live in-person marriage therapy. And we're also talking about Terry's raise your love vibe challenge, which you can learn more about at katenorthup.com forward slash love vibe. So enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Kate and Mike show. This is Kate. This is Mike. And welcome Terry. We're so happy to have you. Hi Kate. Hi Mike. Hi. All right. So today we are talking relationships and whether you are single or married or partnered, we have got something for you. So Terry, what is it that you see that people do that is like the biggest thing that they're doing to screw up either preventing finding love or screwing with the love they already have? 
Ah, such a good kicking off question. The first thing I would say is that people are, you know, not to quote a really corny song, looking for love in all the wrong places, but they are. (laughs) So part of it is there is a faulty belief that there's the exact right combination of ways to respond to someone on a dating app and that that's the thing, or that it's something outside of themselves that someone else knows. And the truth is, I always say to single or partnered people, if you are either seeking to attract healthy, lasting love in your life, or if you want your relationship to be better, we always start inside. It always starts within you because not because it's your fault with quotes around it, because that's where the actual answers are. Yeah. Pretty good. It's so true. Yeah. I don't want to work on myself though. I know. I want, I, I want, I want you to help me, Terry. You know what though? That I will, is I will help you work on yourself, Mike. Yeah. Terry will help. <laughs> That is a question that comes up a lot in our community, which is I'm doing all this work on myself. I'm, you know, going to the courses. I'm taking your stuff. I'm doing the thing. What do I do if my partner Mm. and I are on different personal or spiritual growth trajectories and it's creating a problem? This is a really, really good one and super common in our world of empowerment and inspiration. The first thing is that most of my my demographic are these high-functioning women, right? These kick-ass, baller women who are like getting it done in life. And yet many of them have difficulty in the area of love. And so it's very hard for them to not be masterful. They want to apply like their winning formula at work to like everything. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. So I'm circling back to the question, which is when you're in that situation, what is it that you can do? And again, high functioning women who are I call them high-functioning codependents, where they want to control everything and make sure the outcome of everything is what they want it to be and blah, blah. That is the exact problem when they're on an evolutionary path and their partner is not, because they're like, I know exactly what he needs to do. I'm just going to give him this prescription here. If he would just meditate, it would all be fine. If he would just do his journaling, damn it, why doesn't he do it? That's not the answer. So what you do is if you're in a situation where you are moving in a different direction than your spouse, or you feel like you're on your own evolutionary path. And let's be clear. When I say evolutionary path, I only ever mean you're on your own evolution to deeply knowing yourself, right? This isn't, there's not some Mecca of knowing the truth as if, you know, quotes around that. It's really, to me, it's all about knowing yourself because the more you know yourself, the more you love yourself, the more you treat yourself with respect and hold yourself in high esteem, the better all of your relationships will be. In that circumstance, there has to be communication without blaming. There has to be a willingness on the part of the person who's on the illuminated path to share with their partner. And the biggest mistake is that what we want to share is what the partner needs to do. And that's what you're not sharing. What you want to potentially share is your experience. Because if you don't, what happens is this is where couples can really grow apart. So part of it is creating a dialogue that says, hey, I'm having some really deep realizations doing the work that I'm doing. I really want to share them with you. Can we make a time to sit down and yak about that? And doing it um, 
with an open heart, doing it with the desire to be known, not to be right about the path that you're on. Because you may, I mean, listen, my, you know, you guys know my husband very well. We were just at your house. Um, Penelope was just looking at a photo of him in our wedding album. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, Vic. Oh my God. So sweet. I can't. The cutest. But with Vic, I mean, you guys know him. He's not me. <laughs> he does. He's on his own evolutionary or whatever he's doing, but he doesn't need to be me for us to be super happy. I'm interested in his path. He's interested in my path. I mean, we've had those moments where I remember a very distinct, quick, funny story when I started getting into the tapping solution years ago after those guys first had the ordinance first had their movie out, whatever. And so I we're driving in Vic's truck. We were going to the mall in Albany. I was like getting kind of misty. And he was like, hate does not like when I'm upset or cries. He was like, what's the matter? And I was like, you know, I'm just thinking that, you know, I'm doing this tapping and like, you're not tapping. And what if my tapping is going to take me somewhere far away from where you are? He's like, I'll tap. I'll tap. You don't even want me to you even tell me to tap. I don't even know what it is, but I'll do it. So then we come home and I show him, I make him watch the friggin' documentary and make him show him how to do it. And like a day later, I'm going out to the studio, which is a barn, you guys know, in my house. So I'm walking up the steps. A lot of times I'll go quietly, though, because I just want to see him, like, what is he really doing? And so he's sitting there drawing Obama at the time, and he's, like, tapping the top of his head. Oh, <laughs> and I open the door. I go, hey, babe, what are you doing? He's, like, drawing Obama and tapping my head like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I was, like, I he's, like, see, I'm tapping. I was really doing it. <laughs> anyway, I love him. He doesn't need to understand tapping to not want me to cry. He, he wants me to be like, okay, I'll be on board with you. And again, he doesn't have to become a tapping master, just his willingness. And actually, he wouldn't even have to do it. I just didn't want to be growing away from him. You know? Yeah. What a beautiful story. I love it. I love that story so much. That's awesome. Just tapping and drawing just Obama. <laughs> so Terry's husband, for those of you who don't know, is an illustrator. World-renowned artist. Yeah, really unbelievable. <laughs> yep. Combat illustrations, amazing Broadway show illustrations, covers of Rolling Stone. Really anyway, this the... podcast is not about Vic, but no. he is awesome. We could do one about him, though. My next question. So this is more for the singles, the ones who are looking for love. What are some of your recommendations as far as, because, okay, so I'll, I'll just give you a little background. Sometimes questions come in, in origin, our community. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not equipped to answer it because I'm not a therapist like you. And second of all, or a coach, <laughs> but you know, I just do my best. <laughs> and then second of all, I sometimes I'm like, oh man, that one's tricky. I feel like you should have just picked somebody else. So like, mm -hmm. that's what, happens in my head, which is not a helpful thing to tell somebody. But if somebody is upstream, so there's actually two questions here. One is if somebody's upstream and is not yet partnered, what are some of the things that you have seen either make or break a relationship in terms of choosing your partner? Now, obviously most of it has to do with yourself, but I'm sure there are some things. And then secondly, what if you are with somebody where you're like, shit, Maybe I, sh you know, like I should have given it a little more thought, mm -hmm. like how much can a partnership change and how much is just how it is? So that's like two big questions. Wow. All right. Well, let's start with the 
how are you attracting people who you'll be compatible with, right? How to attract a partner who you're a good fit. What determines that is how healthy you are psychologically. And let me explain why. When you have unresolved childhood traumas, and we'll talk a little more about that, or childhood injuries or wounds, you have a choice and you only have, these are all unconscious things happening, but the choice is either to talk it out or act it out. That's it. So what happens is if you haven't talked it out, you will most likely, especially if it's, let's just say you had, I'll say my situation, my father was emotionally unavailable, had four daughters, should have had four sons. I was his last chance for a boy. I had the whole, I'm the wrong gender conversation going in my young life, blah, blah, blah. So what happens? Who did I find myself being drawn to? Unavailable men. Why would I be drawn to unavailable men? People would say, well, that makes no sense. You knew he was unavailable. You wanted something different in your own life. What happens is that your unconscious mind and the child within wants a do-over. We're attracted to someone who is like our opposite-sex parent and same-sex parent many times. The opposite-sex parent, unconsciously, we go, oh, this person, I recognize them as mating material. So my father was quiet into sports, very smart, you know, Brooks Brothers suit wearing Wall Street Journal reading. So that was in my young life before I did a lot of therapy. I was like drawn to that, even though I didn't want that, right? I didn't want to have that experience. When you understand what your unresolved injuries are, which I call repeating realities, which I handle in my Real Love Revolution course, when you start to bring this unconscious material from the basement or the unconscious mind into the main part of the house, now you have a choice. Now you have options. So when people feel very victimized by being unlucky in love with quotes around it, they are having that experience, but it isn't luck. Right? It's about something else that is driving your own behavior to have you be repeating this pattern. Freud would call this a repetition compulsion within family systems. So if you had a traumatic experience or an un, like a not good experience, we could just say, that we are compelled to repeat those for whatever reason. This is the way the brain is wired. And in my own work, I've expanded on this because I see that we also repeat the good things. We repeat many things. We're not just compelled to repeat traumatic events, but we certainly are compelled to repeat things that left a deep impression. So how do you change that? Let's go back to, let's simplify it and we'll go back to the question. The question was, if you're single, how do you attract an appropriate person? So the first part of that answer is do your work. Look at your past relationships, and then you're going to ask the three cues, and we can put this in your show notes too, so people will have it, because it's a super easy tool that I created so that, because here's the thing, you guys, we're not all going to be Barbara Streisand and get into 47 years of psychotherapy. We're not. We're not doing that. I wish we were all going to be Barbara Streisand. (laughs) Yes. I would personally like to. What's the 47 years of psychotherapy yeah, she's been in therapy for, you know, she, she like oh. me, has been in therapy for 105 years, and it's well known. Oh, okay. She talks about that. Yeah. Got it. Anyway, it would be great if we could all A, afford to and have the time to, but we don't. And my theory, and then I will get to the three cues. I know exactly where I am. Don't worry. The audience we is like, you. hi, stop going off on that tangent. No, but my theory, <laughs> I have you, don't worry, <laughs> is that people are very smart. 
and that people are very coachable and that there are things. I've been a psychotherapist for 20 years, but I've also been a coach for almost 15 because I was like, we could give this information to people. They don't need to be spending 300 bucks a week with someone necessarily. And maybe you do if it's early childhood, sexual trauma, sure. Okay. But hey, there's things that I could create as a tool that can work. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. Let's go to the three cues. If you're a single lady or man listening to this and you want to attract an appropriate person, you're going to look at your past relationships first before you get out there. And if you're out there, you know, you can still do this. You're going to start with the three cues. And while you're looking at your past relationships, who does this person remind me of? When I'm interacting with them or when I'm being frustrated in that old relationship, where have I felt like this before? And why is this behavioral dynamic familiar to me? Don't worry, I'm going to repeat them and then we're going to put them in the show notes. Who does this person remind me of? Where have I felt like this before? And why is this behavioral dynamic, the way we're interacting, why is it familiar to me? And with that last question, it can be familiar to you because you've seen it. It doesn't mean you have to be, have been in like a dyad with that exact behavioral imprint, right? It could be that you've seen it somewhere else. Another question to ask, which we'll also include is, when I'm in this unsatisfying interaction with this person, who do I become and who do they become? Mm. Hmm. And when you're asking that question, you could become your father. They could become your young self. You could become your young self. They could become the parent. Or you could become your mother and they could become your father. So it may sound a little esoteric when you first hear it, like, who do I become? What? Give yourself a minute to like process it because it's a super revealing. Those three cues in that additional question are so revealing. I promise you, anyone listening to this right now, if you've never done that, you are already seeing a pattern of who those relationships. Oh, yeah. Why? So... Now we've identified by doing that what you're repeating. Oh, great. So now I know where to dive in and do the work because I just identified what is still sticky. What do I have some charge this earlier in life experience? It doesn't have to be under the age of seven. It's not that. It's just you're driven in the now by unresolved information from the past. Yeah. So what we're doing by asking these questions and starting to process this is we're bringing all that crap up into the main part of the house or your conscious mind. So now you have a choice. You can be like, wow, every one of those relationships, I was repeating this unsatisfying relationship with my father. Clearly, I have some unresolved injury with my dad that I need to look at. I need to do something about. So for you ladies, I know you like we're wishing I'd say something so much easier and better than that. But the truth is <laughs> you're, you're on the wrong app. You got to get on a different app. <laughs> exactly. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too many fish in the sea. They're over. <laughs> no. Yeah. And Terry, can I share a quick story to just illustrate how powerful that is? Um, mm -hmm. So those questions, by the way, will work in, in a partnered relationship as well, obviously. Of course. Right. And even in, and even in work relationships, like we, yeah. we in, in Real Love Revolution, we expanded into all of it because when you can't figure out what the hell the problem is, I promise you, you've got a repeating reality going on. You're just not aware of it. Yeah. So 
last week or two weeks ago, Mike wanted me to sign this stack of books that was going out to a couple of people. Are you going to tell them whose books? Mine. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I don't sign other people's books. I'm just, just my book. So everybody's clear. It's your own book. Yeah. This is my own. It was not a <laughs> Look at it. It was a book called Money, a Love Story, and it was going up. I love that Mike is building a case. We haven't, you haven't even, you, you're sentence one. He's like, uh, let's just get clear on the facts, miss. He's always, Mike wants to get very clear on the facts. You know that I'm, about him. I just, you know, I don't no. want people to be confused. Okay. I got so, it. And then he left for a few days, and then he came back, and I still hadn't done it. And Mike was very angry that mm -hmm. I had not done this very simple thing that he had asked me to do because it literally would have taken me three minutes to do. And this has been a repeating pattern in our marriage that he asked me to do something simple and I don't do it. The simpler it is, the less likely I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Then he was mad at me and I got so mad that he was so mad. And I just was so mad that he wanted me to sign these books. And it was like, I mean, it was unreasonable. I was so pissed. I wanted to throw the books at his head. Mm -hmm. And so I did sign the books because I was just like, let's just get them off my desk. So we, that was done. And then I gave it some thought for a while. I asked myself similar questions to, because, you know, I've worked with you before. And, and I asked myself those questions. And what came up for me, which was shocking, <laughs> was with the what does this remind you of, was mm -hmm. it triggered this feeling in me from early childhood of being like paraded around and having somebody else want me to show up and look a certain way mm -hmm. when I really wasn't interested. Like it was for someone else's benefit for me to look a certain way. And there's nothing against my parents. I can't even really pinpoint a specific mm -hmm. circumstance, but it was like this overall feeling. So Mike had become my father and my mother <laughs> and, you know, and whatever. And I was seven and mm -hmm. I was pissed and it was so helpful to then tell him like, this is what's being triggered for me. And wow, this really has nothing to do with you. I'm so sorry. I didn't sign the books. What a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And just so you know, like that's what's happening. And in the future, if you are doing a book giveaway, can you just ask my permission ahead of time? Even though I know it's silly, can you just do that? Because this little yep. part of me needs that extra step of permission. That's so amazing though. I have to say something like you guys right now are like the poster couple for healthy interaction because there's something about not wanting to stay in this round robin bullshit experience where you're like, listen, we all do it. If you're married for more than 12 seconds, you all have like, <laughs> what is the crap we get polarized about the annoying thing of that person? But when you then, so what Kate did, and you guys, I don't think you need me to break it down, but I want to, is taking it upon I'll yourself. I'll on my side. Yeah. Yes. I, no, I want to hear. Actually, yeah. let's okay. hear your side first. Let's hear your side. So I was like. Because I'm sure it triggered something in you too. Well, obviously. it totally, obviously. Because well, first of all, just it was annoying. Logistical <laughs> level. But, yeah. but I'm sure there was something else. <laughs> no, I just, because I got mad because I made it, it was about me. You know, where I turned it and been like, I'm asking you to do something and you're just ignoring it. So like, why are you ignoring me? Basically, yeah. this is, it's not like I'm asking you to build a house, right? I'm asking you just to sign your own book that's in our house that <laughs> right. in my head is like so basic and ridiculous. But like, So <laughs> I was just pissed because like, 
it's a request that went on for, it wasn't like the morning and then that afternoon I was upset. It was like five days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is this so freaking hard? Because then also I promised these folks that their book, I already told them their book was in the mail, which it <laughs> wasn't because they're sitting, because I figured I would just, it would take 30 seconds to sign the books <laughs> in the mail, right? right? But it took four days for the books to go out. So then all of a sudden I'm feeling upset because now I'm letting these other people down. And then also it's like, why is Kate not like respecting an ask of my own? Right. That you is, told me it felt really rude and disrespectful. Right. Yes. yes but how is that familiar though? Like, I'm just curious. Listen, right. it, it, so <laughs> because the truth is I'm making a situation. The pattern that I can see is I'm making a situation that in this is about me or way my feelings are, or is that Kate is offending me, but it's not really about me. So in that moment, I should have been like, okay, something else is going on here. Like what is really going on here? And then move on. Right. And then realize that it's not about me, that she's not doing this to me. Right. It's not like she's punching me in the face. Right. She's not actually doing that to me. Not that Kate's ever punched me in the face. So just so we're (laughs) clear on the podcast listeners of Kate, my job. But I'd say that's a pattern where I don't feel supported along the journey of life with her which Mm -hmm. is a conversation that we've had before, right? And so where does that come from, from a trigger of it's never doing it correctly or, you know, it's always, it's not the right way or something. And that's a repeating reality from your childhood from one of your parents. Yes. Yes. Maybe. (laughs) Yes. Dude, listen, I don't even have to ask you because I know. I know. (laughs) Not from you. I know because this is right. the way that's it is. Always is. That's right. Because here's no, the it thing. totally is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because here's it feels the weird thing, to say that out loud because I know my mom listens to this podcast. So don't yeah. take it personally, Mom. This is the yeah, hell the human you framework. Didn't do anything wrong? No, You're you didn't. Mother, you're well, awesome. maybe one thing. Mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right, but part of the whole thing, the reason why I know, is because if there wasn't something sticky underneath there, you would have been able to be like, oh, she's just tripping for some reason. Maybe she'll tell me. Maybe she won't. Maybe I'll ask her, hey, babe, this isn't like you. Something's up. What is it? Is there a feeling? I feel this resistance. I'm not sure what it is, but can we talk about whatever? You would have done something else. Here's the thing about, there's nothing wrong with not being able to do that. This is how we as couples, when you are partnered, how we heal together, right? Harville Hendricks's whole theory is that we attract people who will in some way mirror our childhood wounds so that we can, over time, together heal them. That's the hope. You know, some people do, some people don't, right? If you don't try to heal them, you will just keep repeating the painful situation, which many people do, but then many people do move on. There was another question, though, Kate, that you asked about, and I yeah, can't remember what it is. It was, yeah, because we <laughs> went a like, long so <laughs> So the second question was, it's sort of an amalgamation of a lot of the questions that I have gotten on this, which is like, so if you're in a relationship and you, you have like a partner who's unwilling to do work or to see another perspective or to look at what might be getting triggered or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, how do you know if this is a relationship that can work or if it's time to go? That's a great question because first of all, it's super personal, meaning some people don't want the kind of love that you guys have or the kind of love that they're going to have. Like some people are not willing to put the work in and are willing to be like, 
you know, talk with their girlfriends and be like, ah, he's a jerk. Like some people are like, do that. There's a whole gender bashing thing. It's a part of being in their tribe of women friends where they all kind of hate their husbands or the men friends who all think their wife is a ball and chain, la la la. Now this is very you know, gender sort of specific and it sounds stereotypical, but it is out there. So the first question is, someone in the union needs to feel dissatisfied enough to be at some tipping point to be willing to do something different themselves. So if anyone listening is partnered and feels like they're at this frustrating, you feel like you hit a brick wall, the person is threatened by the work that you're doing, they're not interested, they don't care, you want to talk and they're like, why do I have to talk so much? Because, you know, I hear this all the time too from my podcasts and on my videos, you know, people write in. So what is it? What I find is that when the person who is very unsatisfied and wants something to change can become very fluent in their own emotional language, can make the simple request of what it is that they would like from this person, tell the truth about how their unwillingness to be a part of the newer journey that the one person is on is negatively impacting their relationship. I feel like what many people do is they wait they say nothing. They act it out, slamming doors, going to bed at different times. They don't have to have sex. All these many ways of like passive aggressively expressing the way that they feel. But if you don't use language, you haven't really given it like a really good college try, right? You haven't really done that. And listen, you may not have the skills right now, but I promise you, you can learn them. And that if you do that, first of all, I have a quick story about someone who took the course last year. It was like this mind-blowing thing where a woman who was in a relationship for 20 years married, her husband is like a cowboy farmer. They live in the middle of, I don't know, this country somewhere. And he's not a talker. You know, her whole thing was like, I feel ignored. Like, I feel like I'm drying up, like I'm in the Sahara Desert. He's a good guy. I really do love him. We've had children together, but he just doesn't know me, you know? So then through our work in the course... We really reframe that to be like, oh, hey, have you let him know you? Have you made yourself vulnerable so he can know you? Have you made a simple request about the way you would like him to touch you or to kiss you or to go on a date with you or whatever it is? And she was like, "Uh, no, I didn't do any of those things because I didn't know how. (laughs) Wait, there's something I should be doing? I thought I was just criticizing about how he was so had no emotional IQ, you know? So we went through the process of her just slowly but surely making simple requests and then being really grateful. And she became like this testimonial for the course. She was like, my mind is blown because what has been always good about the relationship is now so amplified. But he's like a little kid. He's so excited that I could tell him, ask him if he would go de-ice my car, which she was also someone who did a lot of things herself, not realizing that her guy really wanted to do those things for her. And instead of being like, no, no, I got it. She was suddenly being like letting him, because I asked her another question that I always ask, which I learned from a therapist who helped me 30 years ago, is if you're with someone who isn't a good communicator, I was talking to my therapist about my father and I was like, I just don't get it. I haven't felt loved by him. And she was like, well, here's the question. Can you feel loved by the way that he is capable of loving you? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. And I said, well, what would that be? She's like, well, let's talk about it. What are the things that he does? I was like, well, he paid for college. 
She's like, that's loving. I was like, he bought me a used car. She's like, yeah, it's loving. He wants to make sure I, I he bought me an electric toothbrush so my teeth don't fall out. She's like, great. He always yells, strap in when I'm pulling away from his house. And she's like, right. So that may sound weird that you're searching. And yet the truth is that shifted something profoundly for me at that time because I was like, Oh, right. Like he's not going to change because he does have a low emotional IQ, but he's a really good guy and he's a really good person. And the truth is he's been very devoted and he really does love me. He just doesn't have those warm, fuzzy words that I wish he did. So maybe if I accept him and I can feel loved by the way that he has loved me in a very dutiful, real way, that will shift something, which it did in marriages because it's very easy for us to focus on what they're doing wrong and what they're not doing. You know, I have a, a client who has a very successful husband and she's very focused on all the things he does wrong. And trust me, there's plenty, but there, it's just expected that he will go. He's out. She doesn't work. They've got a bunch of kids. It's like they live in a huge house. They are buying a second home. Like I was like, you know, we actually have to give Bob credit. There has to be an exchange of value together you wanted to stay home with the kids and there has to be a moment where bob gets credit in your mind for doing that like he is doing that that is happening he's making plenty of money you're living a very lovely you know and she grew up this way so it's not surprising but i'm like it can't just be expected and so i tell that story because there's many things that in long-term marriages even short-term marriages where if you're just married that we take for granted all of the niceties, all of the things that our partner does for us that makes our lives easier and better. So yes, I'm not saying that you don't want to change things. If you're not feeling satisfied, sure, you can work on that. And you have to communicate what needs of yours are not getting met and then make the simple request for the person to meet them and be specific in that request. And these are all things so much of the time that I find that women who come into my practice or into my groups have a resistance to doing because they don't want to be vulnerable. If I ask him to, you know, have a date with me on Friday nights or whatever, what if he says no? What if he forgets? What if he doesn't want to, right? There's a fear, but in order to have intimacy, vulnerability is required. And when people are unsatisfied, it's mainly because they're, you know, they're having intimacy light mm. rather than like the deep, juicy stuff. Wow. Hmm. So I want to ask a question regarding maybe dating or relationships itself, like just partnerships. How has it changed? I mean, it's changed a lot on how to connect with people right in the last decade, 15 years or so. Because of technology? Because of technology, like match.com okay. and then mm -hmm. everything else. Now it's apps. It's just like at your fingertips, right? So, right. So it's almost become, there's so many availabilities to find a date than there was previous. So I have two questions. One would be like a dating aspect of what is happening with technology. Everything we talked about now is still, regardless of how you're finding a partner, whatever that is, it's still relevant, right? But like, how is the way we're looking for mates or the way we're interacting and how technology in self in partnerships and relationships, like even if you're married, how is that changing things? 
mm-hmm. from like when my parents were my age. Yeah. Right? All right. Stay with one question. Don't do double questions because then I forget. So that question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to ask the second one yet. Okay, good. Because then I'll forget it. So the dating thing, let's talk about some tips, some ideas, and some thoughts about both of these things that you're saying, which is when we are connecting through technology more than we are in real life. Certainly with the dating thing. I always want to empower the single women in my courses to get clear about the way that they want to communicate to when someone is showing you who they are by the way they're communicating with you. So you text someone, if you're a type A person who gets things done, you don't want someone texting you back four days later, right? So, but women, I find, because that's my main demographic, don't feel empowered to communicate that. And yet when they start to, I promise you, who they start attracting changes. This quickly brings me to a story when I was dating, when I was single and I was a talent agent, I had a friend who was setting me up with someone and I was 29 and the guy was 27. And she was like, um, I told him you're 27. And I was like, why'd you tell him I'm 27? Well, because I didn't want him to think you were older. Like, of course, projecting all of her shame and age shame and bullshit onto me. And I was like, listen, tell him my real age. It's like ridiculous. You know what I mean? But my point is, she's already so bringing... 29 is like so ancient. <laughs> I know. But she's projecting this shame already into the situation that hasn't even happened yet. And I was like, oh, no, no, we're going to get clear. And then after that, I was like, you know what? Do I really want to go out with someone she's setting me up with? I don't. Okay. So I actually didn't even go out with that person. Moving on to... The dating scene, how it changes is that, you know, the um, stakes, it's not that they're not as high, but they're different because you can go on 8,000 dates a week if you want to. And you could have random hookup sex with 8,000 people a week if you want to. And if you're looking for lasting love, I highly, highly don't want you to do that because the whole thing about having sex too fast, it's just not good. So you can say whatever, sex in the city, that's such bullshit. That doesn't work. That's not the way humans are wired. And it's certainly not the way most women are wired. So if you feel compelled because someone bought you dinner to, I was just about to say, give them head. And then I remembered your mother was on. So can I not say that? Okay. It's too late now, but (laughs) you can say whatever you want. (laughs) Mike's mom, I'm super sorry about that. If you feel compelled (laughs) To be sexual in a way that you maybe aren't really feeling, but you feel pressured and you're allowing yourself to feel that way. This is where I say, let's go back to the five pillars of real love, according to Terry Cole, which is awareness. The first thing is awareness. How am I behaving? How am I being? How am I presenting myself? Am I protecting myself? Am I drawing boundaries? Am I being discerning with whom I say I'll go out with? Self-knowledge. Figuring out those repeating realities so that you don't end up dating the same unavailable guy over and over again, or the same guy who seems great and then disappears over and over again, or the same guy who's addicted to whatever he's addicted to over and over again, right? Then we move into self-compassion. Stop being so hard on yourself for not having this figured out. That's a whole pillar in what I teach women because it's hard. We don't do it. Self-acceptance is another one. You know, we're all thinking, well, I should be this or I should be that. No, when you can accept exactly where you are, that's the only place and the only way that you can change anything. And then that's when you move into self-love. And when you get to that place of self-love and self-celebration, this is when you're in the most empowered position to be on a dating app, 
get into a relationship, meet someone on a blind date, because energetically now you are vibing on a higher, you are raised, you have raised your love vibe and you are vibing on this higher plane where you will be drawing people in on a different plane as well. When we're looking for a relationship to complete us, to fill some looming black hole, to make us feel better about ourselves, the truth is it can't. It isn't humanly possible. And yet I find that it's such a misguided thing. Like I'll feel legitimized if I'm in a relationship. If someone else thinks I'm great, then I think I'm great. And when I'm single, I think I'm not great. Well, why is that a problem? Because when you're single, you think you're not great. And it has to come from you. This is an inside job. So I want to answer the, I hope I answered that one. I think I did. Yeah, but let's go to the way the couples are communicating. Wait, before you do, yeah. now is a good moment to share how people can raise their love vibe. Oh yeah. Oh, with, awesome. Yeah. Yes. We have on um, the March 19th, we're starting, I'm starting a five day challenge, which is raise your love vibe challenge. This is going to be five days of raising your awareness. So if you're single, it's perfect for you. And if you're partnered, it's perfect for you because it's basically, you're going to be able to apply everything that we're doing to yourself. And every day we're going to be meeting for 30 minutes. I'm doing a Facebook live. You'll get a video of me telling you what the challenge is for that day. People will actually have an opportunity on the last day doing an Instagram challenge to win a free spot in my next Real Love Revolution course. So it's gonna be super duper fun. So I would love anyone who's interested in raising their love up, and that's for all of you guys, single or partnered, please join the challenge, it's completely free and gonna be awesome. Great, and so you can get that at katenorthup.com forward slash love vibe. Right on. Okay. Now, can you get into how technology is shifting the way couples communicate? I can. And actually, I've had so many people write into me from my YouTube channel and my website about having major issues because one person or the other is addicted to their device. One person or the other or both where they're you're just like not even on the same planet because you're I like to call it living light right? This is living light. If you are in a conversation, but really your eyes on Instagram, you will not have the same depth of psychological, basically impression, the impressions that we have, like the neural pathways in our brain of information and experiences, how deep they are and how our recall will be about them has to do with how present you are when they're happening. So I can tell you right now, there needs to be rules and regulations about when and how, Vic and I do not, when we're out to dinner, unless we're Googling something together, he's like, who's that person's name? And then someone will pull their phone out, but no phones at the table ever. It doesn't matter. Hi, talk to each other. This is how you deepen a relationship. You need to be interested in the other person, like what is happening in their day? How was that experience? Remember what goes on in their life. It can happen before you know it, you guys listening, that the part of your brain, right? The reward center in the brain. Every time you're on Facebook and someone likes something or you like a thing or someone thumbs up to you and you have all these people on Instagram liking your stuff, you're getting all of this dopamine hit in that reward center in your brain. And what happens is it starts to become more important that hit than other things in your life. At the end of your life, you're not going to be like, I super wish that I was on social media more. You're really not. And, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's be not my gonna, deathbed it's and be like, you know happen. what? Facebook. I wish I would have spent more time on Facebook. Nope. Not, gonna <laughs> not, not gonna happen. But you will wish that you would listen to your kid when they were trying to tell you about the boy they like when they're in sixth grade or whatever it is that you're not doing. If you guys are out there and this doesn't mean you're bad people, but I'm asking you to raise your awareness. Are you living light? Are you connected to your children and your spouse and your family light because you're so into candy crush or whatever it is. And you don't have to have shame about it, but be aware of it because you have a choice Good relationships, people, let's just, can we just dispel the notion that good relationships just fucking happen? Because you know what? They don't. You know how good relationships happen? Because we intend that they will, because we prioritize them. It isn't magic. When people say to me, you know, you guys are so lucky. I'm like, you know, I'm not lucky. I'm intentional. I have a good marriage because it's the most important thing in my life. That's why I have a good marriage. Vic is the most important person in my life because that's the way that I want it because that's what makes me feel good and because that's where all the possibilities lie for me. So if you are in a marriage and you're like, gee, I wish it was magical like my friends, I'm going to tell you, it can be magical if you decide that you're willing to do whatever it takes I don't mean sacrificing yourself, but I mean being vulnerable, learning about yourself, understanding your 50% of that unhealthy dance, if you're doing an unhealthy dance, and fixing that. If you're sitting in the blame game and being like, if he just was this more, it would be great. And if she just wouldn't do this, that's not true. What's true is that what you have power over is who you are in the relationship. And you absolutely can transform almost any relationship if you are willing to do your own deep dive. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I wish you guys, we should like, we should have this on video. You guys should see Terry is like talking to the camera. Like it's amazing. It's beautiful. I'm like um, crying. <laughs> right now, me too. <laughs> I can't okay. talk to you without crying. <laughs> How does this relate to as well, kind of what you're hitting on and kind of the expansion. So this is a, not goes with technology, but like, I know there's a lot of vulnerability because you've worked with a lot of high powered executives, men, women, celebrities, you know, musicians, all this stuff. Right. So Mm -hmm. how is this work for what is happening with the me too movement that is taking place with Mm -hmm. like, these U.S. Olympic girls, which is like one of the saddest things of all the time. The gymnasts. The gymnasts, mm. yeah. So like, but then with, on the other take of this was like with men, right? So how is all of this displaying, I, I don't know how to really ask this question. I, I totally got it. You, you know what I'm, I'm just like. You can just say, can you talk about that? Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I, I sure as hell can. Talk about leaves, Terry. And, <laughs> and you know, I'd be like, and I'm going. <laughs> so I think because you and I have had to talk about this briefly, like on the phone, but I haven't, what I'm asking right now, I can't get the point across. But basically, I'm really curious from a, what you're seeing in from a relationship dynamic that's happening between men and women with everything that's going on with the Women's March, Me Too, like all of this stuff from, I'm really asking from a man's perspective. Yes. Like, so what this means for, so like women listening can understand maybe what you're seeing in your practice when mm-hmm. it comes from like what guys are experiencing. Yes, it's such a good one. And it's so funny. I'm in the process of, I've been carefully 
researching and recording something because I have my own feeling about this. And then I'm looking at what are the actual laws, you know? So let's just look at it from a male point of view. This is what I think is happening. We're at this tipping point and something has to change and it is changing. But anytime there's any kind of a revolution, it's very, very messy. And until we start to create some kind of a real new normal, which I believe we are in the very, very baby inception stages of, there's going to be people who have no idea what's going on, what me too even means, right? So I'm just going to say a few things that are factual. So let's start with sexual harassment and let's start within the United States for something to be sexual harassment legally for there to be a legal case, it needs to be in a workplace that has at least 15 employees. Start there. doesn't mean it isn't, you're not being sexually harassed. I'm just talking about on the law. Hmm. And there's different kinds of sexual harassment. One is quid pro quo, which means this for that in Latin. It means this for that. So I will give you, you know, if you do me a sexual favor, I will give you this. So that's against the law in the United States. There's something called hostile work environment, which is someone, it could, and it doesn't have to be, now we're talking about sexual harassment, but Harassment itself could be somebody, you know, making comments about someone's ethnicity, the clothes you have on, making sexual remarks, replies, telling super dirty jokes, always implying things sexually. They actually say looking someone up and down. I was like, are you actually going to say I'm like licking your lips too? I mean, there was actually an actual part of it of someone like in a very like a lecherous sort of way. Right. Anyway, so and you don't even have to be the person. You could be in a hostile work environment because the boss is constantly sexually harassing his secretary or his second in command, and you feel afraid because of that, or you, are, you feel repressed because of that. So that's one thing about sexual harassment and legality, at least in the U.S. I want to talk about that um, actor. What's his name? The guy who the chick went on a date with? Aziz Azari? Yeah. Yes, Aziz Azari. Like, please, I just can't remember that. Aziz Azari. So when that came out, that was what prompted me to be like, I have to go public. I have to talk about this because this is so incorrect that this dude is being, from what I understand, listen, nobody was there. I can only tell you from what I've read. Why I had a problem with it is that he's not her boss. She didn't work for him. She's not saying that he forced her to do anything, right? She's saying, I didn't like what he was doing. I didn't like what he was saying. Here's the thing about- On a date. On a date, but that she, uh, of her own accord, went, went back to his house with him and is like making out and fooling around. So here's the thing, you guys. He's not wrong for asking you on a date. There was no abuse of power. If you were wowed by his celebrity, that's on you. And then you got to check your own ulterior motive if you had one. So there's that, which is not really in his corner. That's really in your corner. And moving into, so now every time we have a bad date, every time, why did you make out with him? Why? Was he threatening you? Did he have a gun to your head? Did you worry about reprisal? In what way? No. So every time someone has a bad date, she's humiliating this guy, talking about all the sexual things he was saying to her, which some people think is hot. Listen, we don't choose. Nobody you know, grows up and is like, I can't wait to have this weird sexual proclivity, whatever it may be. <laughs> Nobody. 
right? This is, nobody picks what turns them on sexually. And if you think you're special, I would like you to Google the top 20 sexual fantasies and you'll realize you're just like everyone else. So, I mean, unless it's like fetish stuff or whatever, that's a little bit less. But the top 20, I did this once because I'm sure I, I was talking to my therapist and I was like, oh my God, something's wrong with me. She's like, yeah, okay, there's not. You're just like everyone else in America. So bye. I was like, oh wait, no, that's not weird. That doesn't make me a lesbian or doesn't make me whatever I thought. She was like, yeah, no. And she actually was lesbian. She was like, it doesn't actually. My point about the, I want to go back to Mike's question and try to answer it, which is that the pendulum is swinging. And you guys who are listening, you know, I'm not talking about Harvey Weinstein right? That's a completely different situation of someone who is abusing the crap out of their power. He's a rapist. He should be in jail. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where is the responsibility for the person who went on that date with that guy to be like, oh, hey, I'm not into this. I'm leaving. I don't like this. I'm not going to have sex with you. No. Like, how can we vilify him if she didn't do and say that? And you guys, I read one account. I'm not an expert on it. I wasn't in the room. But my whole point is that we have to understand that it's sexual harassment when there is, first of all, if it's in a workplace environment Mm. and if someone has power over you. Now, there can be hostile work environment. They don't have to have power over you, right? So you can be sexually harassed. They don't have to have power over you because you could be sexually harassed by a coworker as well, who's on the same level as you by a subordinate as well. Exactly. Which is very specifically stated when you look at the government website on the legality of sexual harassment. My point about the conversation and going back to what Mike was saying, all of the good guys or the nice guys in my life, I had a situation happen with a very close friend of Vic's who I love very much. We went to his opening in Boston and he was explaining something to his friends about what I do. And his wife actually is a well-known anchor in, in Boston. And he wrote me this beautiful thing, but completely not necessary the next day. I really hope that I wasn't objectifying you when I was explaining what you do to my friends. And then I brought up that thing that you said about what doesn't get somebody laid. And I hope you weren't thinking, which is something I said, right? I was talking about someone always being really down on themselves, not being an aphrodisiac, right? When he and I were having a conversation and I loved that he was quoting it and telling his friends, I felt nothing but happiness about it. But I'm saying the guys who would never be the sexual harassers are wringing their hands about, did I, should I not? I want to make one thing clear about sexual harassment too. In order for it to be harassment, the person who it's coming at has to feel harassed. That was actually in the government website. So do you get this? That you may have a playful relationship with someone and they don't feel that way. So it's not for, do you understand that? that that's, right. I was really surprised about that. Anyway, back to the good guys and back to men wanting to understand how to be is asking permission is the safest way. And I don't mean every minute of the day. I mean, if you are getting sexual with someone and you feel a resistance, it's actually saying, do you want to fool around? Like, are you, are you just, do you want to? And for the women listening, it's on you to draw your boundary when you're not in a sexual harassment situation, when it's not your boss. And I'm not blaming the victims. So those of you listening, do not misconstrue what I'm saying. 
But I am saying we have to get to a point of being empowered with our own language, with speaking our preferences, asking for what we want, being able to say no if it isn't what we want. There's a new dawn of a new day around dating and communication, and all of us have to change the dance, not just the guys. Because women, if you don't, if you are never saying the truth about how you feel, if you're going along with something, how can someone possibly know? So don't get yourself in that situation, which is why I also talk about valuing yourself in a different way. Don't feel compelled. Have an eight-date rule that I want the, the people in my practice to do. Eight dates. By date six, if you still want to go out with the person, you can you can cut it short and have sex with them if you want to. But let's not have <laughs> sex on date one when you don't know them. Because first of all, it isn't good. It's some crazy projection because you don't even know the person. You're trying to be something they want you to be. They're trying to whatever. I don't know what they're trying to do. But if you want to, the value of yourself is you being like, no, let's meet for dinner, have a proper conversation. And if someone thinks that you owe them fellatio because they took you to dinner, are they really your person? I hope not. I hope not to a lot. Well, I'm sorry. I just went off on that. Just so no, that was, that was so great. great. Thank you, Terry. Really insightful and refreshing. I'm so glad to have the piece about in any situation, right? We have to take responsibility for our own ability to say no. It's so important. It's- yes. And that's, again, not including a situation where there is an inequity of power and someone has the power to negatively impact your income, right? So you guys listening, that's not what we're talking about. What Mike was talking about is sort of the new paradigm for men in this new day that has dawned and how can men be empowered to also still be themselves and yet be sensitive enough to not be part of the problem. Right, Mike? Yeah. Is that what you were asking? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I think I kind of forgot what I was asking based off your response that I was paying attention to. Um, <laughs> right. Good. You didn't know. You were just like, talk about that. No, I think it's because there is a, and I'm also kind of seeing or that I'm experiencing also is like, how do I mean, I, I think I agree with you hundred percent about like this new, like what we're moving towards is so it's like in six month old baby stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is like, we have to lose, we have to become aware, right? I think that's your first step, right? Isn't yes. That that's pillar one. Like, this is awareness. We're still in early stage awareness of what is actually going yeah. on because yeah. it's not like if you use the Olympic gymnastics, these girls, like there's 140 of them right? That testified. And the only dude that's getting in trouble right now is the doctor. There's no way that nobody else knew. Oh yeah. No freaking way. Oh, they definitely, many other people colluded. For 140 girls who are 15, 14, 16 years old. I mean, they're girls, they're minors. They're girls, right? And so they have voiced their opinions or voiced what they probably experienced to a lot of people and they just got ignored, right? So- Mm -hmm. Where it's saying like, that's the awareness of this doctor, whatever his name is. And Larry Lessard. Yeah. Doctor. Right. So I believe that is, that is correct. And we're actually talking on the day that he's going to be sentenced. 175 years he got. Oh, he got. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's this awareness piece to realize like there is, and you know, for guys that are listening to this, you know, from my perspective, the one thing that I'm doing 
Terry, you can correct me or let me know if like this is the right you know thing. I I mean, for me, it feels good. Is just to pay attention to what's going on. Like I'm not gonna go back to say that girl that with Aziz is wrong, right? And mm-hmm. and like I'm not gonna turn around and be like you're wrong, you know, or whatever that may be. But it's like paying attention to just what people are experiencing and realize like, whoa, baby, like we've had this little jacked up where it's like, yes, men's actions, but also in a certain way, the way I look at it too, is like what women have put up with mm-hmm. and not said anything, or they've been paid off to not talk about or whatever this mm-hmm. may be. And just even that is wrong, like in its own way where we're just paying, like I look at Bill O'Reilly and we just give millions of dollars to these women he worked with. And it's just like, oh, okay, go on our way. Right. Yeah. And so it's like just noticing what is actually happening. And then we can kind of lead this in a different path. Right. But it, when in doubt, ask. Because here's the thing, yeah. even if the other person isn't as skilled as you are, even if you're not that skilled, even if you do it badly, if you sense that someone is, there's a hesitation or that something weird is happening, ask. And also to the guys who are listening, like the whole notion of just wanting to get laid and like bragging and all, like the world is changing, you know? And so realize that that's a dangerous position to take in the dating world, unless you have two consenting adults and they both just want to get laid and that's great, you know, like no problem, but be mindful that, that's an old paradigm that isn't working. Mm -hmm. That is so true. Wow. Hmm. Thank you so much. This conversation has been amazing. Thank you so much. And for the work that you're doing and for being our friend. (laughs) (laughs) And for spending Christmas with us. (laughs) And and for spending Christmas together. Yeah. We got to spend Christmas together this year. That was so special. It was fun. It was super awesome. I know. Well, I love you, Terry. And for people who want to check out more about what you're doing, of course, you can join the Raise Your Love Vibe Challenge at katenorthup.com forward slash love vibe. But you can also find Terry over at terrycole.com. And she has amazing videos and insights that, you know, this is not your average like love advice. Obviously, I think if you, you know that at this point, having listened to this interview. Well, thank you guys so much. I love you. It was so much fun. Terry Cole has helped Mike and I so much in our relationship. And if you also want to benefit from her wisdom, whether you are married or single, you can go to katenorthup.com forward slash love vibe to get access to her free raise your love vibe challenge. katenorthup.com forward slash love vibe.